The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes. As always, a frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction. Joining me as always from Epic Risk Management, my buddy Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm well, Craig. I'm well. Came back from California uh, yesterday out at Loyola Marymount, the home of Hank Gathers. There you go. Uh, what a great basketball player he was back in, 19, in the 80s and 90s. So had a good trip and uh, back home, back in New Jersey. Now. He actually just brought back a, a gambling memory for me that I hadn't thought of in a very, very long time. I was in the Bahamas watching Bo Kimball shoot free throws lefty in an NCAA tournament with money on the line because uh, Hank Gathers had, Gathers had passed away. Yes. And uh, it was his way of honoring his best friend and teammate. And uh, it's funny. I don't remember if I won or lost, but I remember having money on the game. So there you <laughs> go. That too. And joining us today from Indiana is uh, Jacob. Jacob is a college student there. And we appreciate Jacob joining us to give us some perspective on what uh, kids at college think about all this uh, legalized gambling. Jacob, good morning. How are you? I'm uh, doing fantastic today. How are you guys? Doing great. So just give me a little bit of your background. Are you a gambler actively? Do you have a gambling issue? And uh, how prevalent is gambling on the Indiana campus? Yeah, so uh, I'm not a gambler at all. I've never placed uh, any kind of bet in my life. Um, but I am uh, really into sports, and I'm really interested in the research surrounding sports gambling and online gambling, especially uh, its uh, increase in prevalence uh, since over the pandemic and, and the uh, kind of boom it's seen um, in the last couple of years. Uh, the most, you know, the most research I've done is kind of I've written a few articles about it in uh, college newspaper, the Indiana Daily Student. Right. I've written about it. I've talked to a lot of people about it, and I continue to do more work and more uh, research on that. So let me uh, ask you a question. As, and I, you know, nothing is uh, statistical here, but just in your opinion, are you more of the norm or more of the exception? amongst the uh, student body at Indiana from a gambling standpoint? I'd probably say the norm because, uh, I mean, this it's, it's while it's a lot of students, it's, um, it's still, I feel like it affects more um, college students who are into sports uh, that, as, that far, as, that, as far as that goes. Um, so I'd say norm, um, but there's still a high number of people who do place a bet, especially on a ca- college campus regularly. And is it uh, something that's kind of like thrown in your face all the time? Like uh, whether you're walking on campus or going out socially where gambling is, you know, uh, marketed uh, throughout the Indiana campus? Or is it the kind of thing where you know about it, but you don't actually see it all that often? Uh, it's, uh, I, th- I think it's a little bit of both. You definitely see it on campus, especially in, in friend groups, stuff like that. A lot right. of that talk is dispersed around, uh, you, you can imagine, especially in a sports group where you all interested in sports and i think another part of that is on social media too a lot of ads and stuff that like places like espn sportsbook barstool sportsbook those are kind of pushed on social media very heavy and the way that whole technology works that you're going to see that stuff a lot especially if you're interested in sports right so, so it's, it's kind of thrown in your face so dan let me ask you a question because uh for the last year and a half you've been traveling this country talking on college campuses specifically yes. to college athletes but you have a pretty good sense of what the student body is uh doing is Jacob's story 
similar to what you've encountered on college campuses where kids are aware of it, but it's still the norm for the student body is not to gamble versus gamble? Uh, it seems like the norm for the student body is to not talk about it as much. Uh, there's a couple of things that I've kind of noticed and come across, and Jacob, you can add to this. We noticed that, to Jacob's point, athletes are up to four times more likely to be at risk for developing a gambling problem because they have certain personality traits. They play sport. They're comfortable with taking risk. They have a competitive nature. They have a fear of failure. That makes them more likely. And we know college students in general are more likely because they're away from home oftentimes. They're trying. They're, they're meeting new people. They're in new places doing new things. So that makes the college campus a higher likelihood of developing some type of gambling uh, relationship or some type of harm with their gambling relationship. But, Jacob, one of the things that I've come across consistently across the college campuses is the fact that student-athletes will oftentimes ask non-student-athletes to place bets for them because they don't want to get jammed up, and or the student-athlete's main concern is the social media threats. And E.J. Liddell had that happen to him a couple years ago after they lost to Oral Roberts in the first round. So, Jacob, I guess the question to you is, are, are you getting the sense in the research you're doing that, you know, that's happening on your campus? Yeah, and I would, I would even stretch um, not just athletes. I mean, of course, athletes, to your point, have a higher chance of doing that. But even those who are underage are getting other people to place bets for them on college campus. Um, a lot of states are 20. Many, many states, if not all of them, are 21. Um, I know Indiana is 21, and there's a lot of students – 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are having other people, bookies, place bets for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, to me, I, listen, I, you have to be 21 to do it, but, you know, I played illegal wagers when I was in college, and, you know, I, I guess if I was in college today, you know, prior to, you know, exhibiting the behavior of having a problem, and I couldn't get on, it's not that hard, Dan, right, for me to find a kid on campus that's got an account and essentially bet through that kid, whether he's my bookie or it's his account or his dad's account or an uncle's account, whatever it is, the access is not hard. It never has been hard. No, it never has been hard. It's always been fairly easy. And and that's the problem, too, is the accessibility. That's something we continue to talk about is accessibility is now opening this up to more people. You know, the statistics say roughly 2% of the population in the U.S. has a gambling uh, problem, gambling disorder. But when that 2% is 2% of a larger number because we have more people being exposed, the actual number of people experiencing gambling-related harm or addictive disorder grows, uh, and that's concerning. Uh, you know, Jacob, I noticed you did write an op-ed piece. You wrote an op-ed piece, I guess, last year that you mentioned. Yeah, I think it was called It's Time to Talk About Gambling Addiction. What motivated you to kind of take this on? Is there per- not Obviously, you said you haven't gambled. Family-related gambling, what motivated you to say, hey, I'm really interested in this? Of course. And I think, I think the main driving force for me was uh, I had a family member who uh, kind of undertook a gambling addiction for a long time. Um, and seeing that kind of made me, was that main driving force. But then at the same time, seeing my friends and stuff kind of um, under, undertake that kind of, you know, gambling addiction as young as I am, like these are 18, 19 year olds that I'm seeing. And a lot, and a lot of it was, you know, making it aware to people because everybody's gambling. And when you're a college student, you, and you know a lot about sports and you need money as all college students do. And you know a lot about sports. You think it's really easy. It's just easy money. You see it as, and then, you know, talking about the addiction as a whole, it's relatively untalked about that you, and that you said earlier, um, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, those are uh, very, they're emphasized. Mental health is very 
it's big on campus keeping uh, keeping control of mental health. Um, gambling addiction is kind of like an afterthought when you think of that. Not a lot of people are talking about that. And so it's such a it's such a gambling addiction. Get rich quick, or, or not gambling. Get rich quick. Sports betting. If you know it, you're going to win money. At the other side of that, it's like nobody's talking about well, though all those times that you don't win money, you're only hearing about the wins instead right. of losses, and there's a lot more losses. Hey, listen, uh, Barstool is a hugely successful brand, uh, especially for uh, kids your age and kids on college campuses. And they, of course, uh, you know, partnered with a uh, a gambling outfit, you know, Penn National. Penn National owns them outright now, and I'm wondering what type of role. On a college campus like Indiana, like how important is the Barstool brand on your campus? Uh, I think it's in, it's incredibly important. It's incredibly prevalent. I mean, it's it's kind of in it's kind of crazy how much a brand can actually affect people's lifestyle. And I, let me stop you there. I want to be clear. I'm not blaming Barstool or Penn National. I'm only bringing it up because I'm trying to figure out, Danny. You could get in this as well. I'll let Jacob go first. Amongst college kids, I'd be interested to know. What percentage of them flock to Penn National or the Barstool brand for their wagering, whether it's wagering information on the content they put out or making actual wagers because Barstool is such an important brand for kids that age? I would I mean I don't have uh, I don't have actual hard uh, right. numbers here, but I would assume uh, a lot a very, very high percentage of them would yeah, I would that. think so too. Dan, yeah. have you experienced that at all or no? Yeah, I, I, I have. Anecdotally, I have. And that Barstool just has a, this cult following. And when you look at the content they produce, and, and I've had conversations with Penn National senior executive leadership team, and they're part of the conversation to say, hey, listen, we, we want to we do our part, right, Craig? I mean, we always hear a lot of operators talking about doing their part for responsible gambling yeah. and safer gambling and player protection. But, you know, some of these brands have a unique infrastructure because they're, they're more than just an operator. They're, they're a following. They're apparel companies. They have so much going on, and they draw such a – Barstool in particular – a type of demographic that lends itself to potentially at-risk harmful gambling. So Barstool, in the meetings that I've had with senior leadership at Penn National, they're quite aware of the message and the following, and they need to continue to look at it to make sure they're – they're not promoting irresponsible gambling. That's their big concern. Right. Jacob, are there any programs uh, at Indiana that you're aware of that uh, teach kids what to look out for, signs of uh, problem gambling? Uh, there are not. There are not any programs. Uh, many college, I, I've learned that many college campuses, I, I don't know the names off my head, but a couple of college campuses across the country do have those institutions. And from what I understand, more and more are coming. But as of right now, Indiana and many, many other schools do not have any sort of Got thing it. like that. But they do have faculty who do research into that. Got it. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time today. And uh, keep doing the research on the extent that Danny and I can help be a part of any uh, future projects. Uh, definitely uh, lean on us. And I'd love to see what you find out as you continue this reporting. Thanks so much. Of course. Thank you. All right. Be well. Take care. Uh, we will continue with more Hello, My Name is Craig right after this. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Dan Schlauer, of course, Epic Risk Management, and uh, Craig Carton. Uh, we go all the way to uh, 10 o'clock. Joe Beningo is coming up solo at 10 o'clock. Dan, what? 
you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me hearing Jacob only because he's never placed a wager in his life. And yet he's interested in the uh, the topic of, of legalized wagering and the impact it has, you know, not just on college campuses, but beyond that. But uh, I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to my head trying to figure out if everybody recognizes that young adults are the fastest growing group uh, of, uh, of wagers now, people that have never placed a wager legal or illegal in their lives before, and we have the stats to back that up. It sounds to me that other than have you and Epic, you know, spend a weekend out of college, I'm obviously starting a college tour with FanDuel coming up here in a couple weeks. It seems like colleges across America would be really smart to offer it as part of the curriculum, like as an elective, like to learn about wagering, to learn about responsible gambling and all the things that come with it. Or, Or am I off on that? No, you're, you're so right. And part of the problem is the fact that when PASPA was repealed in 2018, which allowed for each state to decide whether or not they want to authorize, regulate, legalize gambling within its state borders, there's no national policy. And that becomes the problem because when when I was with the council as the assistant director, there were several times within the New Jersey high schools and colleges where we'd be asked to speak at an addictions class or a psych class right. to talk about gambling disorder because it's an emerging disorder. Remember, gambling just became a formalized, recognizable disorder in around 2013, 2014 in the DSM. It's only been around for 10 years or so. So it's relatively new. And so, yeah, 10 years, okay, relatively new. But in the same token, Craig, it's now been 10 years. Let's get moving here. And well, it's also so because slow. it's the fastest growing addiction in the country right it's now. Amazing. And I, I like, to me, it just makes sense, like, could somebody put together a curriculum that would be accepted by your know, higher education uh, platforms so that there's a universal type of class where the kids at Indiana are getting the same information that the kids at Syracuse are getting and the kids at Florida and Georgia and Ohio State? And I'm not saying you have to mandate it. I'm not saying they have to uh, take the class. But if every university offered the class as an elective, I think you do a great service to get kids before they make their first bet or early enough on where they recognize the danger signs and you might save a whole heck of a lot of lives. And I think the NCAA, to your point, is starting to see the value in this. You know, we've worked Right, but the NCAA on... only, and, you know, they're losing their grip on this, but they, they only are. govern athletes. They don't govern the kid like Jacob or the kid like me who went to uh, Syracuse who wasn't yep. a, a Division One athlete. I'm not on scholarship. I don't play sports there. The NCAA has no control over me whatsoever. Now, they can mandate that athletes take classes or they attend, you know, the seminars that you guys, you know, do so well or ultimately what I'm going to try to do, you know, coming up here in a few weeks. But, you know, why not create a syllabus or a, a universally accepted, you know, teaching mechanism that you can have on college campuses across America? Uh, and and to your point, yes, you know, I started to say the NCAA from an athletics perspective is starting to see it, which then hopefully will trickle down. But let's even look earlier in the high schools, in the middle schools. You know, in Virginia, there was a House bill, 1108, that was, I believe, passed or getting ready to be passed, which would which would put gambling education in the K through 12 school system. Yeah. Well, yeah and the, the issue with that, because I faced it, because I've had a lot of high schools reach out to me as I'm sure you guys at Epic have had, and they want me to come in and talk to uh, high school kids in, in, a, in an auditorium. 
And the issue with that is for a lot of parents, so meaning the PTA and the superintendents get involved, is what age is too young yeah. uh, to do it? Like, are you exposing 10-year-olds to it? Do you expose 15-year-olds to it? And they're very concerned, uh, educators are, about at what age. But as I remember back when I was a kid, you know, they never taught a class about um, being an alcoholic. They never taught a class about drug addiction, right? But they did give you a class about drinking and driving. Yes. So they very were very specific about what class they taught. They didn't talk about you know your first drink. They talked about your first drink behind the wheel of a car. So I would you think know, I, we could probably do something similar in that. You don't have to talk about gambling per se, but you could certainly talk about gambling addiction. Correct. Correct. You can also talk about life skills, money management, financial skills, coping skills, appropriate versus inappropriate risks that people take. Because within the world of gambling, you and I know that that's all folded in there. And when we talk about educating at a younger age, when we can do age-appropriate education around those life skills, social skills, and coping mechanisms, you're indirectly starting to teach them about statistics, probability, odds, then it all folds into the world of gambling. And there was, there's an evidence-based program that's out there. It's called Stack Deck that was developed back in 2000, I don't know, five out of Canada that's now being updated for today's current student. And it's geared towards that, that fifth to eighth grader. Uh, I don't know where it stands, but I know it's in the development works to kind of be relaunched. I think there's a pilot in North Carolina right now. But again, it's state by state. And that's always the problem. There's no federal mandate or, you know, curriculum education. Right. I don't think it'd be that all that hard to create. I think you, me, the Epic uh, executive team, and a couple other guys or gals could probably sit down uh, over a weekend and come up with a pretty good plan that uh, colleges could adopt, high schools could adopt, literally overnight. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and to your point, it's like, oh, so what's the delay? It's, it seems sometimes we get too many people with their hands. Well, the, I think also the delay too. is financial, right? Nobody oh, wants absolutely. to give up money. Nobody wants to, yo, nope. if you got a billion dollars coming into your state and you only have to dedicate 15 million of it to, uh, you know, marketing and awareness, not even centers that help people, and no one's forcing you to write a bigger check than that, who's going to write a bigger check than that? And I get that because... Yo, if somebody's selling me a car for twenty grand, I'm not giving them thirty, right? That's right. So, and that—that's my own little soapbox thing because I'm dying for the day when we can wake up and have—I'm not saying two or three or four or five, at least one though—an actual bricks and mortar building that people can walk into, introduce themselves as a compulsive gambler and get the therapeutic mental health and psychiatric help they need to start putting in place the steps to overcome the addiction. And we don't have one. We have, I think, two right now, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, we have a handful. We have, I think it's up to, I think we have four. Is so it four now? Them. Four gambling rehab centers in the entire yeah. country. Four. Yeah. <laughs> and then you compare that to how many drug and alcohol rehab centers do we have around the country? Yeah, that's, right? that's my own little pet peeve. So. And, and listen, I agree with you. You know, Craig, I, I remember when I, uh, 2010, when I was, uh, February 11, 2010 is the day of my last bet. That next Monday, I called health insurance looking for 
a place to go. I didn't know what to do. I needed counselors. And they couldn't even say, what do you mean gambling addiction? Do you mean alcohol and gambling? No. Nope. Do you mean drugs? And, nope, just nope. gambling. Yeah. They sent me to an inpatient facility in Pennsylvania called the Keystone Center. And I went there, checked in, and I was there for one night. I went to a group meeting. Nobody could relate to me. I couldn't relate to them so much. And the next day, the clinical director discharged me and said, I can't help you. Wow. And it was, and for me, it was the 12-step room that started my journey before ultimately needing to go to prison because that's where I really, you know, sobered up, quote, sure. unquote, because I didn't want to go there anymore. So I should, you know, it's interesting, you know, Danny has gone, you're 12 years plus now, right, without making a yeah. wager? Yeah. And I'm uh, four years plus without making a wager. And uh, I'm going to ask you a question, a personal question, if you're, if you're okay with it, that I don't think I've ever asked you before. Go ahead. Do you miss gambling at all? Is there ever a day when you wake up and you wish that you could gamble? Uh, yeah. I think if I'm being honest, I think there are days that I think about the good times that I had when I was gambling. And when I say good times, I want to be very clear on this. The bad times always outweigh the good times, right? It doesn't mean that I miss it, that I want to go back to it. But I think about the high. I always think about there's the feeling that you get because we chase this feeling. I had that feeling in sports. The years that I played sports, I've had it racing triathlon. There's a certain rush you get as an athlete that is unparalleled when you play sport. The only way I was able to achieve that rush was in the world of gambling. Right. And, you know, on, on, a, on a somewhat regular basis. Yes, there were moments in my life that have also been just absolutely amazing, like we all have. But gambling was that thing that allowed for the rush. And gambling was that thing that allowed me to escape a lot of hard times in my life. And do I think about it? Yes. Do I miss it? Not as much as I used to. I miss it less and less as the years go on, and I never miss it enough to go back to it. And right. that's because I've built a life where it no longer fits in. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, there are times when I wish I could do it. Not that I want to do it right now in the moment, but, you know, just taking stock of life that I wish I was able to do it because... You know, like you said, the, the positive aspects of it, the socialization, you know, the friendships, uh, you know, the, you know, being all together, everyone's on the same game, or you're winning a blackjack can, whatever it is. You know, yeah, there. I, I wish I didn't have a problem, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I wish I was able, and I know I'm not. And it's yeah. a great amount of clarity to know that, you know, and that's unfortunate for a lot of people that are at step one. You don't know that yet. You haven't gotten to that stage where you can look on your life and go, I just can't do that responsibly. I don't care how many years I'm away from my last bet. I was telling somebody the other day who was making a wager on an NFL game, and they were asking me about it. And although I didn't give my opinion on the bet they were making, I, you know, there's a part of me that said, boy, that'd be fun to be able to do it. But I know right now that I couldn't do it because if I made a $100 wager, it wouldn't mean anything to me. I'd have to make it you know, 1000 and 1000 becomes 5000 and I know very quickly exactly where that would go. So I, I'm blessed, as I think you are, to have that clarity of who we are as people, the flawed people we are, that I don't have this desire, like, I got to go make a gamble. Oh, I can't believe I'm not allowed to. But, you know, truth be told, it'd be nice if I could do it. I just know that I can't. I think that's the benefit of us getting older. And I say that because we get this wisdom from life experience. And I'll, I'll tell you something that I've been reading recently. It was referred to me by a good friend of mine who's a, a major executive at a major corporation. It's called The Measure of a Man. And there was a, a part of that book that said, you know, most people think they have a fear of failure, that fear motivates us. But the question is, 
Is it a fear of failure or is it a fear of focus? That everything we've been focusing on in our life up to this point has not been the right thing to focus on. And I think about gambling in that respect. Yes, there are elements I miss, but those relationships aren't real. That's not real. That's not going to last. That's not long-lasting relationships. My focus has been, was so off for so many years, and that really resonated with me. It, it was a fear of focus. You know, let me get my focus back. And for me, you know, Dan Trolero in recovery, I don't have a healthy relationship with gambling. That can't be my focus. Right. So even when I start thinking about, hey, it would be nice to do X, Y, Z, I immediately have to shift my focus because I don't want to start going back down those those cognitive paths of destruction. Well, I appreciate you, and I appreciate what you do, and I'm uh, proud to call you a friend. We'll do yeah, this again uh, next week, and I uh, appreciate everybody listening. If you or somebody you know you think has a problem with gambling, start it with a phone call, 1-800-GAMBLER. And as always, we appreciate their support as well. We'll do it again next week. Dan, thanks so much as always, pal. Thank you, brother. All right, coming up next, Joe Beningo solo. And then Evan and I, of course, are back Monday at 2 o'clock right here on The Fan.